1: In times past, we have focused in on Jesus as our Good Shepherd. It's always a wonderful topic to revisit, and we'll do just that here next on Truth For Today. Join us. from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Hi and welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We continue with our series, Life Forever in Jesus Christ. We're in John chapter 10. That's our primary passage. We'll also spend time in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 29, looking at shepherding from a shepherd's perspective in the church, and then 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. Jesus, our good shepherd. Join us for a very encouraging look at... Our Heavenly Father, His Son, and His Son as the Shepherd. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's program.
2: We want to look at uh, Jesus, the Good Shepherd. The Shepherd of Psalms 23 is now identified. You say, The Lord is my Shepherd. We're talking about Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that in Psalms 23, but John 10 makes it identified. Everything. The shepherd does for you. In Psalms 23, Christ does for you. And we're going to look at six things about Christ uh, as our good shepherd that ought to be comforting to us and be assuring to us. And then I'm going to take some liberty to uh, uh, reach in and at least look at uh, at least five challenges uh, to us men uh, who've been made under shepherds. And I even think of Sunday school teachers and teachers on different levels that on any level, if you're shepherding, uh, we were talking about, uh, we often go on about a, a Ron Hughes, this uh, big Tennessee boy that I know my great-grandson at age three can't wait to see Brother Ron. Uh, because he's been teaching kids now for 20 years. And he kind of shepherds them. And these little ones, we get women to do this, but very few men. So he kind of is in a league of his own. Uh, On whatever level you may be involved in caring for people, uh, looking at the great and the good shepherd, I think there's some applications that challenge us. And so we want to look at those things. And so let us first begin that in the first six verses, uh, Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees that kicked the blind man out of the synagogue. And so he's carrying on his discourse. And he begins to tell them a story, a figure of speech. Uh, Only shepherds go in at the gate. Thieves and robbers come in another way. They don't come into the rightful entrance to a fold of sheep. And uh, he enters, and the doorkeeper opens to him. Sheep hear his voice. He calls their name. He leads them out. And when he brings them out, he goes ahead. And a stranger they will not follow, because they do not know the voice of the strangers. This is the first figure of speech, and Later on, Christ says, I am the door, in verse 7. And there seems to be a mixture here. Let me uh, give you the background. When they built a place for sheep near the village in the town, several flocks would be kept in this fold. And they would have a hired man that took care over the night, all these sheep. So you might have two, three, who knows? Four flocks in one fold. And uh, a man was paid to take care of them. And uh, the next morning, the true shepherds, they would show up to this fold. And they would begin to call out their sheep by their unique voice. They would have different sing songs and different little ways. And, of course, they named some of their sheep Sometimes a flock might be 30, maybe 50, and they could call them by name, but they had a voice that was familiar, and this man's flock would come out and follow the shepherd. Then another shepherd would come, and he'd call his sheep by name, and they would recognize his, they could just separate the sheep based upon the identification of the shepherd's voice. This went on all the time. Because the shepherds, they'd go home at night. They'd want to be with the family. But they had a paid man to take care of the sheep. But when he goes down to the other analogy, I am the door to the sheep or the gate. He's speaking of when they were out in the wilderness or when they were going to other pasture and they were away from villages, away from this flock situation. And out in the wilderness, they would have other folds that would be up against a hill, sometimes in a cave, uh, different ways to take care of these sheep. And at this fold, there was no door and there was no gatekeeper. So at night, the shepherd himself would slept, sleep in the entrance to the fold. He became the door. And so the sheep inside would have to jump over him to get out. And a predator, a wolf, a thief, anything to get in would have to get over that shepherd. So it's two different shepherd analogies from the first century. And taking care of sheep in those days had its dangers. You remember, David? Uh, I killed a bear and I killed a lion taking care of a flock. Now, I want to ask you. Would you hang out for a flock if a bear was coming? Uh, What about a lion? I tell you, just in the natural, I'd be setting a new track record. (laughs) So you can have all the lamb chops you want. Because I'm not hanging out. My life is more precious than this flock. But David himself trusted God and... uh, killed the bear. Nobody knew about it. His brothers didn't even know about it. Killed a lion. So by the time he saw Goliath, he said, I've already been trusting God to uh, take on enemies bigger than me. He was just a boy. And so we see the setting, the figure of speech, and now Christ is going to weigh in, and he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep uh, lays down his life. He says it four times in the narrative. Through verse 18. Four times I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, uh, that's amazing. I have come to the sheep will cost me my life. And I know that. I know it ahead of time. Uh John the Baptist announced me as the Lamb of God. And here's what's very interesting. Our shepherd is also a lamb. He knows what it is to be sacrificed. And as the shepherd, he says, I am going to lay down my life on behalf of my sheep. And in verse 18, he says, No one can take my life. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And it's a very strong uh, construction in Greek. It's a middle voice that says, I for myself lay down my life. I for myself will pick it up again. I voluntarily will die a substitutionary death On behalf of my sheep. This is a definite atonement verse. There's places it says he died for the church. Here it says he died for the sheep. You see, the cross work of Christ had universal implications. Uh, It even reconciled things in the heavens, according to Colossians 1. Things in the heavens were reconciled. The death of Christ accomplished many things, and you have this remote sense in which uh, I come, I'll give my life for the world of humanity. You come here, he's saying, I came in a special sense, I bought my sheep at the cross. This is definite. I had a definite, the cross accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. It saved the elect. It is a sentence against those who refuse to believe. And here's the idea that is amazing: Did the cross make salvation possible? Or did the cross actually save anybody? You don't have to answer. Most people say he only made it possible. He says, For my sheep, it's actual. I didn't just make it possible. I actually purchased a church at the cross. I actually purchased sheep at the cross. I did ransom them. I did set them free. He never did set Hitler free. He set his sheep free. It bought someone. It's not just a glob, just a a big bunch of atonement. Because, see, we've got this mind. God's got to love everybody. Well, uh, let me differ with you. Who in the world is God angry with? He's pouring out his wrath, according to uh, Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is presently being revealed. In Psalms 1 through 50, 14 times, he says he hates the wicked. Does he? Is that right? But we manufactured a God that's all lovey, lovey, lovey. And this is your job description. You got to love me no matter what I do. You got to love me. You got to love me. Wait, wait a minute. God's anger, God's wrath is a part of His holiness. And when you go against His holy character, He's right to be angry and to display His wrath. Did you know according to John three thirty six, all unsaved people, including us, are abiding beneath the wrath of God? Oh, turn back. You, you don't believe me. Turn back. I can see that glaze on your eyes. Look, look, look at John three thirty six. You there? three thirty six. He who believes in the Son is having eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God. You see, God's love, we've made it gooey, universal, broad. It doesn't save anybody, but it's just nice to know he loves you, even though you're going to hell. Five ways the word love is used in the Bible. And I get this from D.A. Carson. The difficult doctrine of the love of God. Number one, it's used of the love of the Father for the Son. Intimate, overwhelming, and it's always being dealt with in John. They love each other with an eternal, intimate, like microwave love, interpenetrating love. It's just overwhelming. Then you have this love that he displays in the scripture that. Uh, uh, he is providential care. He he gives rain. He gives seasons. He gives good gifts to all men. Uh, he allows procreation. He allows rain, sun. That is God's love towards all mankind in just providing. Even the wicked. He's good to even the wicked. He gives them children, prosperity, health, life, crops, weather, uh, They don't love him, but God's good anyway, isn't he? it's loving to to do all that. But then he says, I've got a love for mankind called God, so love the world. And that's universal. And uh, it's not just how big is his love, but world in John always represents how bad we were. Because the world represents that sphere of people under the control of Satan. And what does Scripture say about you and I? We were once children of disobedience, objects of divine wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were the objects of God's wrath at one time. Are you aware of that? And God displayed his love for the world and us when we were ungodly. Sinful and weak, God demonstrated his love toward us in that he gave Christ. Universal. But then we start getting a particular love. You hear him say in Deuteronomy, You, O Israel, have I loved out of all the nations of the earth. No other nation have I loved like you. You I have set my affections on. And he tells him, not because you were better than the other nations, for you've been a stubborn and a stiff-necked people. You didn't deserve it, but I chose you, Abraham, to build a posterity. Matter of fact, I said to Jacob, I love you. And to Esau, I hate you. You say, God can't do that. I, 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 I want to tell you, he said it. Malachi 1, 2. Particular, you, little Israel, why do you think Israel still exists? Because all the Gentiles want them to? They have been hated, hunted, tracked down for centuries, and you can't get rid of them because God loves them. And I don't wait for the politicians to tell me what to think of what God's gonna do with Israel. I got the prophets. And you don't know enough of the Bible to even know they got a future. God's not done with Israel. And then he says, I love my bride in a way I don't love other women. I sure want one to marry a guy says, I just love all women. Well that's nice if I know what you mean. They're nice. I want to be good. How do you love me any different? Well, I just love you the same. You just happen to get me. That wouldn't quite get it. I love you because you're special. You're, you want my heart. I have a feeling, an affection, and a commitment to you. I have towards no other woman on the face of the earth. We call that marital love and commitment. What is the church call? The bride of Christ. See, you don't know God has a particular love for you. You aren't just another chump on the street. You are chosen, set aside... He has numbered the hair of your head, inscribed you in the palm of his hands. He has chosen you from the foundation of the world. And now get this straight, you are not just ordinarily loved. You've been loved with a special, elective, definite love. And the cross didn't just provide a gob of atonement and forgiveness, For you, it will be effectual. For the world, it's there. But for us, it's been made effectual. He really bought me at the cross. The cross did not fail. Christ didn't go back to heaven and said, Well, I died for them, Father, but we don't know if anybody's going to believe it. We don't know if anybody's going to buy it. No. He went back to heaven. He said, I bought all the sheep I bought a church. I bought everyone from Adam to the last man that's going to be in my chosen people made of Jew and Gentile. I bought them, Father. I know I got them at the cross. They're mine. The others can reject the others can go their way, but they can never say, God didn't stoop to come and die a sacrificial death. But I bought some people that are going to be saved in time. And I'm going to call them sheep. I am going to call them my bride. I am going to call them my people. And the gates of hell is not going to prevail against them because I have loved them with eternal love that no man is going to take them out of my hand. We are the loved of God. We are the loved of God. I don't care if your mama loved you. I don't care if your daddy loved you. It doesn't matter if nobody else loves you. When you know God loves you, it changes everything. It changes everything. He loves you with an eternal love. He goes on. I feel excited that he loves me this much. Pardon me. My back's hurting, but I might have a conniption anyway. And then he goes on in verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, he, he's only in it for wages, and he is not concerned about the sheep. He doesn't care. I think the second comforting thing Jesus is saying, "I care for my sheep, and I will not abandon them." He uses the story of this gatekeeper in the town. All the shepherds pitched in and paid him a wage, and um, and it was a legitimate. It was a legitimate business deal. But he says the shepherds have a higher motivation towards their flock. Of course, many times they had them from lambs. They would often hold them at night. Uh, They gave them personal names. A bond would develop between them. And as in the case of David, they would risk their life. It was more than a a paycheck. They didn't have that flock because uh, they got a good salary offer. And Jesus says... I'm not for hire. I'm a shepherd. I don't do what I do for wages. I love my people with a love that doesn't, it would be an insult to put a wage down at the feet of Jesus. Gotta pay me so much, Father, to take care of these sheep. You gotta pay me so much to be their shepherd. You gotta pay me so much to care. You can't buy. Care with a wage. Reminds me of the uh, missionaries that were running a leper colony. And a news reporter came out and uh, was observing the work. And this colony and uh, was quite overwhelmed with the disease and the condition of the people. And uh, what these missionaries were going through. And he made a statement to one of the missionaries at the end of the tour that went like this I wouldn't do this job for a million bucks. To which the missionary replied, Neither would I, but I would do it for Jesus. Is there anything you would do for Jesus that you wouldn't do for money? Be honest. Or does everything have a price to get you? You don't love him enough. And you don't love his church enough. That if you don't give me a price. I'm not interested. Well you're a hireling. You don't have the shepherd's heart. My shepherd said. No price can ever get me to forsake you. Wolves. Thieves. Liars. The gates of hell. I promise you, I will not flee like the hireling. Hirelings fled so often in ancient Near East that the rabbis finally made a rule that you had to prove there were at least two predators that came for the flock, and that's why you fled. If there was just one, they would hold you accountable for losing the flock. Our shepherd not only came to live for us, but he said, I'll let... The predators kill me, and in three days I'll rise again because a dead shepherd can't take care of sheep. He rose again. Our shepherd's alive.
1: And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church, here in Hercules.